Hello? Oh, look at that. I know how to use the microphone this time. Becoming more powerful. <laughs> Watch out. All right. Isn't it funny the, uh, just the little things God will do uh, in your week for you? Um, anytime Daniel tells me that, uh, or asks me to preach, he never tells me to, but anytime he asks me to cover for him when he's not going to be here, um, I agree, but I'm always, I'm always nervous about it. I'm never, I'm never super excited right when it's happening. Um, but this morning I woke up and I, w- I just felt a little bit of like, I felt a sense of calming. And I felt like, you know, like everything's good. Like I've prepared. I know God's, God's with me and, and it's going to be great. And uh, when I was walking out to my car this morning, I thought about, I thought about the song, It Is Well. It is well. So just uh, the fact that we sang it this morning is just, just a really cool thing. Um, I want to do a, to uh, kind of reiterate what, uh, what Sarah was saying and uh, welcoming, you, welcoming you guys here. Um, whether you are regular attendees or maybe you're visiting um, and you're not here as often or you're watching online, hello, Mom. Um, I promised I'd mention you, so there you go. Uh, But I just want you to feel welcome and uh, feel like you belong here. So today we're continuing uh, a series that Daniel started a few weeks ago called The Lord, The Lord. And in this series, we're taking a step-by-step walkthrough into one of the Bible's most quoted and referenced passages, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And in these verses, God is making himself known deeper than ever before to Moses and to us. So if you were here last week, these, uh, these verses should, uh, should sound familiar to you. Uh, if you're able to at this time, will you, uh, will you stand up with me and let's read this passage together? Oh yeah, it's way bigger up here than it is back there. All right, let's read this together. The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. All right. Thank you guys so much. You can be seated. So as Daniel said last week, this passage is important because it tells us about who God is and what he's like. So last week, Daniel talked about the compassion of God. And if you'll go to the next slide here, this week, if you you can follow the list here, we're going to be talking about God's graciousness, the, uh, the grace of God. And it's something that as people, as humans, I don't think we can fully understand. I think we often confuse grace and rewards. We feel entitled to what's good because we ourselves are good, or at least we try to be. But this isn't grace. If you'll go to the next slide here. Uh, In his writing, Who Are You Anyway?, Russell Bloodworth Jr. explores God's character, and he says this about grace. He says, grace carries with it the idea of gift. 
In other words, it is something you are not due. If you had earned whatever the action is that could be considered grace, it is no longer grace. You're simply being paid what was owed to you for your actions or your position. So grace carries with it uh, this idea of gift. Uh, In other words, it's something you're not due. So we're not owed grace. We cannot earn grace. Grace is a gift that is given when it's not deserved. So anytime, uh, like in Sunday school or on Wednesday nights a lot of the time, whenever I'm teaching the teens, I like to ask them to, uh, to read some of our, my verses for me. So uh, Eli, if you could uh, come up here real quick. Um, you guys can all head up here. Uh, everybody that I talk to. Um, guys, can you give them a round of applause? They're being so brave this morning. By grace, then it cannot base, be based on works. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If there were grace, if it were, grace would no longer be grace. Awesome. All right, so grace can't be based on works. Uh, I think. Uh, I think he probably got a lot of it, uh, a lot of inspiration from uh, from Romans eleven six here, um, but we can't earn grace. We can't we can't earn grace. Isn't this awesome? This one. This one. Yeah, the one that says your name. Oh. <laughs> it's on. The, what are you doing? Oh, okay. <laughs> For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Awesome. So grace cannot be earned, and it is available to everybody. And finally, we've got, we've got Dylan. Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Can you give them a round of applause? <laughs> they, were, they were very nervous about that. And they did a great job. <laughs> so, as we just read, grace can't be earned. Grace is available to everyone, and through our own means and talents, we're supposed to show it to people just as Jesus did. So even after all that, sometimes grace can still seem impossible, maybe even impractical, because when we're wronged, when we're truly and deeply wronged, how can we expect it to do what Jesus says and just turn the other cheek? Have you ever heard the phrase, they got what was coming to them? Maybe some of us have even said it, and it, it seems natural. It seems natural. Sometimes things are done in life to us or to someone that we love, and it fills us with rage. 
Maybe we just want to see someone punished for the things that they've done. Maybe that would make us feel better. Or maybe since we're formed in God's image and we're called to be like Christ to the best of our ability, that grace is something that God wants us to strive for. Difficult or not, God is gracious and God is just. But how can we be those things? How can we balance it? So uh, I think I've got some pictures of my dad. So uh, growing up, my dad taught me all sorts of things. And uh, one of the most impactful lessons I learned from my dad happened a few years ago. As some of you know, my dad passed away shortly before I started working here. Uh, maybe a year before he died, he had spent a lot of time in the hospital. He was in really bad condition, and it just did not look like he was going to survive everything that he was going through. And one of his doctors even pulled my mom and I aside and told us that there's just virtually no way that he's going to survive. So as difficult of a thing as it is, we, we kind of came to terms with his death. But miraculously, he survived. At least he survived what he was going through right then. He made it through all the insane things he was battling, but the road ahead was still going to be a really long and difficult one. He couldn't walk, and he had to do some really intense rehabilitation. And it made it even more difficult for him uh, because he had developed some really bad uh, bed sores. Some of them went as deep as, like, his bones. Like, he had, he had awful bed sores. And these sores caused him unbelievable pain when he was doing anything. And the worst part of it was they were totally avoidable. The bed sores could have been avoided. See, when he was practically dying, his doctors quit rotating him. So he laid in the same position for weeks on end, you know, with, with just pressure, like hurting him in, in the same areas, never getting any relief. So the sores developed. And to an extent, I understand that, you know, they thought that he was dying for sure. But when I got to the other side of it, you know, when he got to the other side of it and he was, he was doing better, uh, he had pulled through all of those things and now he was trying to, uh, to do his rehab and stuff, but he had these, these horrible wounds and pain that was avoidable and it was totally somebody else's fault. That's when the anger towards the hospital staff started for me. So, and for my mom. Um, and, and now, my, my mom and I were kind to them, but I sat through so many physical therapy sessions with my dad, uh, just stewing over the fact that the pain that he was feeling was caused by someone else's mistake. And my anger grew every time that I thought about it. Every time that I would see him wince in a certain way or 
not be able to move in the way that he should be able to, just a little bit more, that anger inside me grew. And this, uh, this hospital story is, is long and exhausting, and, and, and there's a lot of drama. So I, I want to skip ahead quite a bit, but I wanted you to understand where my anger was coming from, at least the start of it, uh, before I get to the, the main point of this story. During the months of my dad battling these things in the hospital, something totally unexpected happened. Uh, my uncle, his brother, had to have emergency heart surgery. So my dad's been in the hospital for weeks and weeks and weeks, and then this happens. And uh, the surgery was seemingly successful, but in the middle of the following night, my uncle passed away, just a floor or two away from where my dad was. And my uncle's death was shocking to our family. With everything that had been going on with my dad, none of us expected at all. None of us anticipated that it was even a possibility that my uncle would pass away. And as you can imagine, the news of my uncle's passing crushed my dad. It was heartbreaking to him. About a week later, my uncle's funeral came along, and my dad still stuck in the hospital, wasn't able to attend. So I skipped the funeral to uh, watch the live stream of it, the live stream of my uncle's funeral in my dad's hospital room because I didn't want him to be alone for it, and uh, I figured we could just watch it together. So he told his doctors that the funeral was coming up, and they assured him, like, that's fine, you'll be able to watch it. The only thing you have scheduled that day is dialysis, and that's way in the evening, like four hours after the funeral was supposed to end. And some of you might be able to see where this uh, story is going. But I bring my laptop to my dad's hospital room, and we begin watching the funeral. And a few minutes in to the funeral, a nurse walks in and says, it's time for my dad to go to dialysis. And this was, I remind you, nearly four hours early. My dad starts to agree to, uh, to go, and I cut him off. I explained to the nurse that, you know, how early he was and that my dad was in the middle of watching my uncle's funeral. And I just asked, can you please come back later? Can you please just do it when you scheduled to do it? Don't make my dad miss his brother's funeral, his only brother. Don't make him miss his funeral. And the nurse said, sorry, but we need to take him now. Again, four hours early. And for the most part, I'm a pretty easygoing person. But at this, I'm embarrassed to admit that my temper got the best of me a little bit. So I start just verbally spewing everything that I'm thinking and everything that I'm feeling, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of lashing out at this, uh, at this nurse. All of my previous frustrations were coming out, and I was livid. I was livid for my dad, who seemingly wasn't even angry at all. 
because I felt like time and time again, my dad had been mistreated with the bed sores, with just meals coming super late in the, in the evening. Sometimes his meals were cold when he got them. What, whatever it was, all of this was making me mad, and now they wanted to take him to an appointment four hours early, seemingly just so they could get ahead in the day. And they were forcing him to miss his brother's funeral. And I was mad. But while I'm speaking my mind, uh, my dad grabbed my hand and he told me to stop. He said, Joshua, thank you. That's my name, by the way, in case you didn't know. Joshua. That's my, that's my full name. Uh, he said, Joshua, thank you, but it's okay. He said, they work really hard and they do so much for their patients. And he said, he's just blessed that they're able to give him the treatments that he needs. And he said he'd watch the funeral later. And I didn't know what to say at that point. The nurse wheeled my dad out of the room, and my dad thanked him as he did it. And I left the hospital amazed. It made me think about all the time that I'd spent frustrated with the doctors when my dad clearly had spent that same time in appreciation for them. I focused on all the wrong things and the mistakes and the shortcomings and my dad focused on all the good things that the nurses there did for him. My dad knew all the nurses by name. He knew all of them by name and he loved every single one of them. A lot of the nurses cried whenever he started to walk again because they'd grown to love him too. And they cared about him too. In a moment where my dad was totally justified to be angry, he showed grace. Not only was he gracious, but he was grateful. And he taught me to be more gracious and grateful as well in that moment. Throughout that whole story, I was only thinking about my dad. It's all I cared about in those moments. And was I right in my care and concern? Of course. But my care and concern was cut short. It was cut off. It was, it was limited. While I cared deeply about my dad, my dad cared about everybody else. Those nurses, the nurses that had made me so mad, so angry, that had admittedly made mistakes, but they'd also done so many good things too. Those nurses, they are people too. Everyone that we meet in life has their own stories, their own problems, their own frustrations. And like us, they make mistakes too. They have moments of weakness. They have lapses in judgment. They might speak their mind to hospital employees at times. And they're just as deserving 
of grace as we are. They can't earn it. They can't earn grace. But it's offered to them the same way that it's offered to you and to me. See, in that story, I was selfish. I thought about another person, my dad, sure. But time and time again, that's where my consideration ended. I thought my dad was wronged, and I was angry about it. I was angry at a group, of, a group of people who, many of which never did anything wrong to my dad at all. I generalized a group of people and just blanket, I'm angry at all of you. I'm angry at every single one of you. But to my dad, he just saw how much they had done for him. And he knew that they had his best intentions at heart. I was angry at other people's imperfections while just disregarding my own. I also ignored all the good things that they were doing. They were literally keeping my dad alive. There was a night where his heart stopped double digits amount of times, an insane amount of times. And they brought him back every time. And even when they told us that there was virtually no way he was going to come back, they didn't give up on him. Some of the people may have not done their job to the extent that they should have. But they didn't give up on him. This kind of reminds me of the crowd of people that wanted to stone the woman. And Jesus says, okay, whoever's blameless, whoever's without sin, go ahead and, and throw the first stone. Then everybody in the crowd drops their stones and walks away. Everybody in that crowd, they're all people too. Just like me and just like you. A couple weeks ago, I taught the teens about Jonah, but I focused on the end of the story after he brought God's word to Nineveh. So we've got, we got some pictures up there of, uh, of Jonah's story, and the story is incredible. It's absolutely worth a, a deep study, but I'm going to give you a really brief run through of the first three chapters in Jonah, and then I want to talk a little bit more about the fourth. So a lot of us probably know this part. Jonah's called to Nineveh by God. He, uh, the city of Nineveh, he's called to go there and teach them about God's word, and he doesn't want to go. So he, he runs away. He sails in the complete opposite direction. He, he wants nothing to do with it. A storm comes. He goes overboard, swallowed by a fish, takes him to the shores of Assyria, where Nineveh is, and he's sped out on the shore. And he begrudgingly goes to Nineveh, and he teaches them the word of God. And they repent. The people of Nineveh repent, and they change how they're living. They change what they're doing, and then Jonah leaves. Happy story, right? A lot of us know it. But the story, Jonah's story, 
doesn't end there. It carries on. There's, there's, more to, there's more to the book. There's more to Jonah's story. See, what happens next in Jonah's story is kind of hard to wrestle with because it's so accurate to how people behave. It's so reflective of how I have behaved before and how maybe some of you have behaved before. Um, he's angry with God. Jonah's angry with God because of the grace that he showed the people of Nineveh. See, Assyria and Israel, where Jonah's from, were enemies. And God told Jonah that the people of the city of Nineveh were going to be destroyed if he didn't bring his word to them, God's word. And Jonah didn't want to do it. He thought that if he went and he preached in Nineveh, that either A, they weren't going to listen to him anyway, because he thought these people were wicked, evil, like, they're not going to listen to me if I go anyway. He's afraid that, uh, that they'd capture him or enslave him or maybe even kill him. Like, he, he was afraid of all these possibilities, all these things that might happen if uh, he went and they didn't listen to him. The other possibility, which Jonah didn't like either, is that they did listen to him. That they did listen to him and they repented. That they enter into God's favor. He is afraid this might hurt his own country, his own people. He didn't want another nation to be in the favor of God. He was afraid that his people might even view him as a traitor. He was concerned about his own people, but he, he was concerned about himself. The people of Nineveh were people too. They're made by God just like him. So I'm going to read some from uh, Jonah 4 for you. Jonah 4, 1 through 2 says, But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah knew that God was compassionate, he knew he was gracious, and he knew that he was going to forgive the people of Nineveh. He knew if the people of Nineveh heard God's word and they chose to repent, that God would spare them, that God would show them grace. And he didn't want them to be shown grace. He didn't want them to be saved. Jonah 4, 5 says, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade, waiting to see what happened in the city. He was desperately hoping that they were going to regress. You know, he thought they were bad people, and he wanted to watch them go back to their old ways, and he wanted to watch them be punished by God. He wanted this desperately with everything that he had. He wanted something to go wrong 
And he didn't want them to be shown the grace that God was showing them. To finish out uh, Jonah here. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plants? It is, he said, and I'm so angry that I wish I was dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right from their left? Or in other words, they have not heard the word of God. They don't know God's word. God created the people of Nineveh just like he created Jonah and just like he created you and I. Just like he created your enemies, the people in your life that you struggle with, the people in prison for committing crimes, the people on the news that make you mad. And he created the, even the people that, that cut you off in traffic. God made all of them. And they're all people too. Like I said earlier, everyone has their own story, their own struggles. If you'll go to the next slide, Jeff. Uh, one more. We often view Judas as a villain. And how could we not? I mean, he sold out the Savior of the world. But he felt so bad about what he did that he returned the money that he sell, sold him out for and he killed himself. Judas was a real person and he had his own story. And that story ended with tragic mistakes. I want to challenge all of you to wrestle with that difficult concept of grace after you leave here today. Even when it feels justified to be selfish, I want us to take a step back and think about others. Like my dad in the hospital, keep your eyes on the bigger picture and always be loving to others. Because with true love, grace is sure to follow. Maybe when you get cut off in traffic next time, you won't blow up in your car. I've been guilty of that before. Maybe the person that cut you off has an emergency that they need to attend to. Maybe they really have to go to the bathroom. Or maybe they just didn't see you. Maybe they did see you and decided to cut you off anyway. That's a possibility. But we don't know people's stories. 
We don't know strangers' stories, at least. But we do know that they're people. We know they were created by God, and we know that we should love them and show them grace, just as God does. There are consequences to sin, and God is a just God. He will handle those that reject His grace. And those that reject him are going to face his judgment. But God came, God came to earth as Jesus. God, Jesus came to earth and died for a reason. Jesus is compassionate and he is gracious. And anyone who believes in him and accepts him and loves him and lives for him will be shown grace. That's the gospel. That's the Bible, and that's God. The worship team wants to head back up. I'm almost done here. No matter who they are, no matter who you are, what you've been up to in life, where you've been, your past mistakes, even your future mistakes, God's grace is for you just as much as it is anybody else. Through faith, God's grace is limitless. And while limitless grace is something that we can't even fathom, it's offered to us by God. Jesus is the embodiment of grace. And I pray that as we pursue Christ-likeness, that we can embody grace as well. Thank you, guys.